Welcome back, everyone. I'm Nicole. And I'm Crystal. You're listening to Las Brujas and Friends podcast. A podcast where we talk about legends and paranormal stories, sprinkled with true crime, extraterrestrial, and the like. A little disclaimer. We're not professionals. We're not historians. We just love everything scary. If you haven't already, which you should have, subscribe to and review this podcast. We are... What are we talking about today? I'm going to be talking about the something similar to the Bermuda Triangle. It is the Nevada Triangle. So this is a land-based mystery. I never knew about this. Never till right now. And I'm going to be talking about a very popular case. It's not a paranormal story. It's kind of a true crime story. It's the Silent Twins. For those of you who are into true crime podcasts or YouTube videos, you guys know what I'm talking about. You'll you'll learn what I'm talking about soon. So, are you going to go first? Or do you want to go first? I went first last time, and I talked for almost 40 minutes. <laughs> I need a break. All right. So, for mine, uh, the Bermuda Triangle, just so you have a layout of where it is geographically. Or not the Bermuda, sorry. The Nevada Triangle. <laughs> I was going to say Bermuda. the Bermuda Let's Triangle. go back to the ocean. Um, so, this is a um, triangle where it starts from Reno... Las Vegas, all the way to Fresno. The most popular story that is... Oh, wait. Should we tell them where... So, Reno and Vegas are in Nevada. Yes. But this actually goes out to California because Fresno's Mm -hmm. in California. Mm -hmm. So, this includes California. Yes. Within half of our uh, two decades, over 2,000 planes have crashed in this area. And many of these go all the way back to the 1960s. Really? Yes. In this triangle? In this triangle area. This is going over the Sierra Nevada Mountains, Area 51. <gasps> yes. Um, and these crashes are so hard to figure out why they can never be found. There's just pilots go missing, planes go missing. They have just... The most popular story that I found was back in 2007. This man named Steve Fawcett. Uh, on September 3rd, he told his family members that he was going to go out for just a joyride for a couple hours and just come on back. A, on an airplane? On his airplane. Oh, okay. Yes, very well. It's like a joyride. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so after him leaving three hours later, he was declared missing because he was a... Only in three hours? Very important man, yes. It says here that he was a record-setting aviator, sailor, and adventurer. So he was the first person to fly nonstop on a solo trip around the world in a balloon. Oh, wow. So, so he, he has what he experience. was doing. Yes, of course. Yes. So with this being said in September, um, he had a single engine Belanca Super Decathlon. He had an airplane. <laughs> an aircraft. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and flew over Nevada's Great Basin Desert and never returned. This was something that caught a lot of attention with our media. Um, a lot of his friends and family members who were wealthy um, sent out oh. search parties. He, they spent over $1.6 million in trying to search over 25,000 acres oh, or that's a lot miles of, of land. Yeah. Big area. Yeah. Um, he just disappe- he disappeared in thin air. A lot of rumors say that Fawcett uh, was, um, 
He either faked his own death to just start a new life, leave the wealth lifestyle. I was thinking of that. Yeah. yeah. Or he was shot down inside Area 51. Yeah, that was my second thought. <laughs> yeah. Because, of course, we all know military base. They uh-huh. do a lot of the trials. Always we know the extraterrestrial rumors that we have going on there as well. This was a, one of the rumors that just stuck with everything. And it, to me, I think that with having a three-hour time period of saying mm-hmm. you're declared missing on a single pilot airplane yeah. and having this experience, you either took off and you just have a whole new life. You just said, forget yeah. everybody. Because he had too much experience to just go missing. Yeah. You would think that there would be some radio, mayday, mayday, mm-hmm. something, mm-hmm. air traffic control. And a lot of hikers in this area, because again, think of it, it's the Sierra Nevada mountains. So mm-hmm. people that do hike will find um, just airplanes that are just scattered everywhere. This is an airplane That's graveyard. Crazy. Yes. And a lot of these things are undocumented until someone says, hey, I found something. That's insane. Yeah. And so this, the search party, I think, went on for about three weeks. And until that time, that's when they declared him dead. Because, again, he was an adventurer. So he did know his way around the uh, mountainside yeah. and everything. So, so not only was he experienced, he knew the area. And surviving in the desert and knowing like just the altitudes of what you need to do to survive. Yeah. They, a lot of the this family members left. and friends saw that he was just <laughs> going to come back out and say, hey, yeah, you know, sorry, I just went for a joyride. But, but he was rich, mm-hmm. wealthy. Mm-hmm. He had money. Maybe, he, I mean, it's not crazy to think he had offshore accounts in different countries. And mm-hmm. he was just like, you know what, I'm over... This American life. Or did the aliens get him? Or the aliens took him. Yep. <laughs> Which is way more fun to think about. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking. You know, that's a little bit more intriguing than just saying he just, you know, landed at a military base and they shut him down. Yeah. So for me, I feel like the Nevada Triangle is a mystery that a lot of people, again, hikers still find um, unidentified aircrafts. And depending on the air pa- impact of how low the plane lost its navigation the uh, mm-hmm. the levels of whatever they need to navigate and go um the wings can either be separated and just deteriorate that way or it just goes all down and hitting the ground and based off of impact obviously then no one is going to survive the- yeah but it's crazy that there's hikers that find debris but yet a million dollar plus search party didn't find debris mm-hmm. or they I don't know. Well, remember, they had family members who sent out search parties, regular, you know, um, uh, aviators of the air, police Mm -hmm. force, task force. They spent many days and hours of searching areas and still couldn't find out a trace of anything. And it's fresh at that point. It's not like it was wind and storms and animals and all that stuff. It's interesting. It says that he was declared on February 15, 2008. So September 3rd, 2007 to February 15, 2008, he was declared dead. They just gave up on him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. They said, sorry, sir. Mm-hmm. If you don't want to be found, we declare you dead. If you are, we declare you dead. Right. Um, wow. A lot of there was a lot of websites that I found that were uh, pretty interesting. I was also watching a few of the YouTube videos because the Smithsonian had a little episode on the the Nevada Triangle. There's supposed to be another oh. triangle. Uh, so the Smithsonian even is picking up on this conspiracy yeah. theory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's crazy one. because that's true. In the Bermuda Triangle, from the very little knowledge that I have of it, is 
It's in the ocean. I don't even know where the Bermuda Triangle is. Is it on the Pacific Ocean or the Atlantic Ocean? I have no clue. But I think is it in the Atlantic? I believe so. But pretty much all I know is that planes that fly over this or ships that fly too close to the Bermuda Triangle, they just go missing. Mm -hmm. They get like sucked Mm -hmm. in. Mm -hmm. Out of thin air. It's crazy that we have one on land, literally like 10 miles that way Mm -hmm. (laughs) because we technically are not in the triangle. We're on planet fifth or area 50, planet 51. Jesus Christ. That's the store. That's the marijuana store. Where area 51 is. Disregard that. They have trigger, they have sensors everywhere. So of course, um, if someone is within the vicinity or the radius of where Area 51 is, it triggers. So the military base will have a close watch of who is surrounding and what they're doing. So if someone comes into their airfield. Oh yeah. They they ain't giving you no warning. They're not flashing you any signals. No, not at all. Down. (laughs) Maybe, oh, maybe that's why this guy, maybe this guy was on a mission to be like, Maybe he got obsessed with aliens and he said, you know what? Today's the day. I'm going to fly over Area 51 (laughs) and I'm going to see an alien. And little did he know (laughs) he he was going into the wrong territory. 2,000 in two decades, 2,000 reported um, aircrafts have been missing. That's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot of aircraft missing mm-hmm. in a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. And with Area 51 being that radius, a lot of that, um, it says here, between Area 51 and Death Valley is about 65,000 square kilometers. That's half the size of England. Whoa. And it's just like... Death Valley? Yeah. Death Valley is a trip because we drove through damn near all of it when my brother was here, he took us on a freaking mission. <laughs> and it's really a trip because you'll be on just desert, like what you think desert is. Yeah. And then we got Wilderness. up to this one part where it was like Egyptian desert. No. Where it was sand dunes. <laughs> it was inte- It was weird because I remember driving, when we were driving, we drove up to it and I was like, where did this come from? <laughs> where are we going? We are in Egypt. <laughs> we drove too long. <laughs> but yeah, the Death Valley is a trip and it's crazy. There's warning signs all over the place. And we even went to this one place. Um, Emilio, oh, I'm telling you, he he must have travel, Travelocity or what's that one called? TripAdvisor or whatever it was. Yeah. One of those. And picked out all the things in Death Valley and we literally drove around the whole thing. And we saw this one part where there was a lot of rocks and you could see the different minerals Mm -hmm. by the colors. And there's one even called like the painter's something, the painter's canvas or something like Mm -hmm. that. And it's all different colors. And it's weird. It's like, how does that... I mean, obviously, it's some scientific thing with minerals. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, in Death Valley where it gets so hot where things can't even survive Mm -hmm. how are these beautiful things (laughs) out there like that seriously Mm -hmm. it's called death valley (laughs) maybe those beautiful things call people to it to take your life (laughs) i got really dark Mm -hmm. (laughs) i don't know that's what i got for uh the bermuda triangle no the nevada triangle (laughs) we are not in the ocean (laughs) We're from the desert to the ocean. (laughs) 
All right. Let me get comfortable. Talk to me about these twins, huh? These twins? Okay, so we had to balance this out a little bit. This story that I'm going to tell you guys is very long. <laughs> and I actually didn't even include everything. So I watched a documentary. I don't even know who did. Probably the BBC did a documentary that I watched. Mm -hmm. And then there was a writer from The New Yorker that covered the story as well. And he interviewed one of the sisters. And so I used, those are my sources. And his... The sister or BBC? What do you mean? Your, your uh, references? They both did. Okay. So the documentary interviewed the sister as well. Okay. The writer for The New Yorker interviewed just the sister because at this time when he did the story on them, the parents were no longer doing interviews. So... Well, it'll all end up coming time together periods, in the end. Periods. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay, so I'm talking about the silent twins. It's about twins. <laughs> the twins are two girls, like I usually do. I'm going to start from the very beginning. So the twins are two girls named Jennifer and June Gibbons. They were born on April 11th, 1963. They were born to their mother and father, Gloria and Aubrey Gibbons. Aubrey is the guy's name. Well, because when I first heard it, I was like, Gloria and Aubrey, was it a same-sex couple? That's very progressive for the 60s. Yeah. But oh, no. These are the parents. These are the parents. Oh, Gloria and Aubrey. Twins, and yeah. he, I'm like, wait, what? No, Gloria and Aubrey are the parents. And they had two children before the twins came along, and then they had another child after the twins. So they had five children in total. Okay. And they're from Barbados. <coughs> but so the father was part of the Royal Air Force. So from Barbados, they actually moved to England and they moved all around for a while until they settled down in Wales. Like most twins, we all know that they have special bonds, right? Yeah. They, and they were identical twins, which means that the cell got split in half. Unlike fraternal twins, two cells get fertilized, yeah. right? So they were identical twins. So they had a super special bond. The thing about this, which I've talked to other people about this, is that they both had a speech delay, which, what do you think about that? Even though they were identical twins, how do they both end up with a speech delay? Because isn't that once the children are in the world and exploring their environment, you would think that they wouldn't have the same thing like disability or setback but they did but they were both growing together the same so why would one be more advanced than the other well they said that they had um delayed speech and then the, from in, I, they said they had delayed speech and then from watching one of the twins talking june they sound it sounds like they have a very heavy lisp oh which is weird how they both had it mm -hmm. but I guess you'll learn it'll I guess it makes sense when I start talking more about them about their intense intense connection they had with each other intense so I left off talking about their speech impediment I think it's interesting that they both had a speech impediment nobody could understand what they were saying it turned into can you repeat that what did you say can you repeat it again I can't understand you and they got so sick of it that June and Jennifer from June she said if they can't understand us now they won't ever understand us and that's when they decided not to speak to anybody ever again 
and they were only eight years old, eight or nine. She says they're around eight or nine years old is when this happened. Um, they did speak to each other. Mm-hmm. Their parents caught them, not really caught them, but they overheard them when they were in their room speaking to each other. Yeah. And they thought they had created their own language because they didn't understand what they were saying. Yeah. Which is very interesting. Something, something really sad that June said, and this is a quote, is she said, we'd kneel down by the bed and ask God to forgive our sins. We'd open the Bible and start chanting from it and pray like mad. We prayed to him not to let us hurt our family by ignoring them, to give us strength to talk to our mother and father. We couldn't do it. Hard it was, too hard. So they were already showing signs of a struggle mm-hmm. at eight or nine years old. Okay, so they, they are from Barbados, so they are black and ever since they went to school they were always the only black kids in school so they dealt with a lot of racism and bullying Mm -hmm. when they settled down in wales they were enrolled i think this is when it all went downhill because first of all they were the only black kids in school them and their siblings second they were twins so they got attention and then they weren't talking to anybody so that was like all these things stacked up against them at this school. So they got bullied hard. Yeah. Like super hard. Yeah. To the point where the teachers had to tell, had to let them leave five minutes early mm. at the end of the day so that they could get home safely without having to deal with the bullying from the kids. June says that the more bullying they dealt with, they became more secluded. So they just kept like closing themselves off. Climbing up. The school medical officer said that they would walk. Okay. It went from being more introverted and secluded to more signs of distress, I think, because the school medical officer said that they would walk one in front of one of the other, heads down, totally expressionless, and wouldn't react if someone tried to get their attention. So they were just like robots. But imagine twins doing that. Mm -hmm. It's one thing if one kid's doing it, you can kind of write him off and be like, oh, he's dealing with some things. But twins doing it, Mm -hmm. it's a little creepy. Yeah. (laughs) Right? It's like The Shining. (laughs) The movie The Shining. So at this school, they were checked out by a child psychologist and they got diagnosed as selective mutes, meaning they can become completely mute whenever they felt uncomfortable or wanted to be mute. Yeah. At 14 years old, so they started the school in Wales while they were 11. Mm -hmm. At 14 years old, they got transferred to Eastgate Center for Special Education. So they went to a special kids school. Their teacher at this school, Kathy Arthur, was told by the other school that they were dumb, that they were very negative, very secretive, and they didn't speak at all. That was all in the transcripts. Yeah. That's what they told Kathy. Kathy found out through secret recording. So when she worked with the girls, she had a video camera set up and she realized that they didn't have their own secret language. They were speaking English. They were just speaking it super fast. Isn't that weird? Yeah. So everyone thought they had, well, the parents thought they had a secret language. And I'm pretty sure anybody who ever overheard them thought they had a secret language. But Kathy said she slowed down the the tapes because it was a tape, (laughs) was not a file on a computer. She slowed down the tape and they were actually just speaking English just super, super fast. She said they were actually very intelligent girls and they would write in their journals and they were just like kind of normal. It's a must. Yeah. Yeah. 
um, their educational psychologist at the school, his name is Tim Thomas, and he comes in and out of their lives, said that he tested them on their abilities and they found out, he found out or the staff found out that they had different, they had like abilities and different abilities and different personalities, which is interesting because they're twins they're identical they both have a speech impediment but now at 14 years old they're starting to see them have different personalities so it's kind of like they were kind of like one unit up until they were teenagers and that's how they're able to identify themselves separately Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as time went on though and I guess it just whatever was going on with him got progressively worse mm-hmm. and they continued to withdraw from the family. But before they completely withdrew, they shared a room in their parents' home with their sister, their little sister. Her name is Rosie. This is when it gets a little creepy Ooh. because Rosie was interviewed and she said she actually enjoyed sharing a room with her sisters because her sisters had a lot of dolls. And the reason why the sisters had a lot of dolls was because they used these dolls to create like their own life. Yeah, their own world. Well, yeah, this is imagination. Yeah. But Rosie being younger didn't quite understand that. She thought they were just playing. But the sisters gave her the title. (laughs) Mayor. So weird. No, she was the official registrar. And she recorded the cause of death of the dolls. She was a coroner? Registrar. (laughs) She was just like, (laughs) she wrote down dates. (laughs) Here are a few causes of death of the dolls. Okay. Um, The dolls' names go after family members as well. So like June is one of the sisters. June Gibbons, age nine, died of leg injury. Bluey Gibbons, I don't know who Bluey is. He wasn't part of the family. (laughs) But Bluey Gibbons, age two and a half, died of appendix. Peter Gibbons, age five, adopted, presumed dead. Huh? Yeah, they just killed him. Uh, Julie Gibbons, age two and a half, died of stamped stomach. Polly Morgan Gibbons, age four, died of slit face. And Susie Pope Gibbons died the same time of a cracked skull. That's what they had Rosie recording. Yeah. And how old was she at this time? I don't know. But she stopped sharing a room with them when she was 11. Okay. So she was young. And that's what they had her. <laughs> they had her as the official Jeez. registrar. Not only did they stop talking to their family completely, but they wouldn't do anything in front of their family. They wouldn't eat. They wouldn't drink. They wouldn't do anything. They would never leave their room unless they were at school. They were in their room. And the only way they would communicate to their parents is through notes. So if they wanted to watch a show at home on the tv they would write their parents a note say we want to watch this tv show at 7 p.m can you leave the door open or something like that it's the only way they spoke or communicated to their parents and then while they were at school because the progression of whatever they were dealing with got worse they started to do things in unison they were walking in unison yeah they were eating in unison. Well, you do that when you spend a lot of time with somebody, whether it's a family member or... Unison, though. Imagine us sitting next to each other. Breathing, and coughing, bo- sneezing, eating. farting, all that. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's not normal. At one point through journals and I guess speaking to them and getting whatever she could out of them, Kathy learned that the twins, they played with the idea of being separated. And they kind of wanted to be separated, but they were afraid of being separated. They 
I don't know how they commute. I'm pretty sure the only way Kathy got this info was from their journals. I think the reason why they thought that they were going to be afraid of being separated was because who knows what type of reaction they would get. Depression. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think they thought that. Uh-huh. I think they just depended on each other too much. Oh, yeah. You become dependent. Mm-hmm. They wrote, I think, how Kathy figured out this is through their journals and their writing, but they wrote that they felt like if they were separate, that they could be normal, which is kind of sad. But like I said, I think they were scared of being separated because they depended on each other. I mean, if she can't grab her fork and grab food, if this one doesn't grab food, you then you're not going to eat. <laughs> yeah, so at this point, it was really deep into whatever they were going through. Um, but Kathy and Tim Thomas, they did decide, you know what? We've separated twins before and they've grown into their own personalities. Let's try it with them. And when they broke the news to them and Tim, Tim got the job to break the news to them, they were going to be separated. And while they were in his office, they freaked out. Hmm. They started screaming at each other. They started fighting each other in front of Tim. And then they went out of the office and they were just like going at it. And Tim even was like, oh, so they can talk. Yeah, it it was like they cracked. Yeah. <laughs> it was crazy. Um, Let me see where I'm at. Okay. Kathy decided, they couldn't decide, the girls couldn't decide, okay, maybe you should go, maybe I should. They couldn't decide. They were freaking out. Kathy decided that June would be better to leave Eastgate. She felt like she was, I guess from working with her, that she was, she would be the one that could adjust better. Yeah. But June, in her interview in the documentary, had the mentality of, why me? Why do I have to leave? Why can't she leave? Yeah. So she went, she did get shipped off to this other school and it was another special education school. And June went completely, what is the word? Catatonic, meaning completely immobile. Did not talk, did not move. I think Kathy explained it that she would be sitting on the bed and tears would be coming out of her eyes and like snot would be coming out of her nose. And she just, the staff had to come in and clean up her face. Yeah. She went complete. They said that they would try to help her get up and all they could do was prop her up against a wall. She was not moving, just completely catatonic. There's no other way (laughs) to say it, but she just went completely catatonic. They thought that separating them would help them grow into their personalities, that they knew they had different personalities, but it backfired on them completely. And they think it was because they were already too old, meaning they were already in their like puberty in teenage years. And they when they had done it to other twins, the twins were really young. So they weren't, I guess, as aware, maybe, maybe not as developed as June and Jennifer. They developed a language to only understand one another. So separating them from that. Yeah. I mean, they didn't create a language, but they did create a way of communicating. Of understanding. Yeah. Yeah. Just themselves. Yeah. Because they they had the mindset of they Mm -hmm. can't understand us, but Mm -hmm. we can understand each other. So Um, something interesting I found was June said that they could be each other dependent on how they woke up that day. So June said that one day she could wake up and she was Jennifer. 
What? And some days Jennifer would wake up and she was June. And wow. they would get into screaming matches and Jennifer would tell June, you are Jennifer. You are me. Whenever she felt like her sister was pulling away from the bond. Like it got, it, I wow. think they got too like wrapped up in it. Yeah. It turned really toxic. And then June would say back to her, give me back myself. If you give me back myself, I'll give you back yourself. It was as almost as if they didn't know who they were. Parent trap, real life. But it's like they didn't know who they were anymore. They were so like dependent and like into each other that they didn't even know who themselves were by by themselves. At 16, they were no longer at the Eastgate Special School and they completely secluded themselves in the room. Oh. They didn't Separate, go out. Separately? No, 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 They shared the room at, okay. in their house. And June said that they would sit in the room and they would wonder, like, what's going to happen to us when we're adults? Like, all they wanted to do was be normal. They wanted to go out. She said they wanted to go out to the disco. <laughs> and they wanted to have families one day when they were adults. But they, they couldn't do it. She said they even ordered a course... Like they ordered a course through the mail that taught people how to communicate with other people. And they said they tried like they I guess they did the course or whatever. And they were just like, but we couldn't do it. We just couldn't do it. So the next best thing that they had since they wrote so much is they were like, "Okay, we're going to be novelists. We're going to write novels. And their novels never got any attention that they wanted. They never got published or anything like that. So nothing ever came out about their novels, but there wasn't an ex... What is it called? An excerpt? Excerpt. From the novel. And let me read to you what it says. It says, Teenagers all around jumping on top of each other, pulling anybody to the floor with salacious frenzy. They scream loudly to the music, pulling out blades and stabbing their best friends to death. That was written by Jennifer. Oh, that's deep. They were dark. Mm-hmm. They were really dark. At 18 years old, during the summer, they finally decided, we're going to leave this bedroom. They just out. couldn't take it anymore. But the way they ended up leaving this bedroom wasn't probably the best route for them. So they knew of this American boy from Eastgate. The thing about this boy was that he was an arsonist and a theft. Okay. Yeah. But for whatever reason, they were infatuated him. And I think it was because he was American. Because they did talk about when they would talk about how they wanted to be separated. One said they would say, ship one of us to Barbados and one of us to America. Yeah. So I think the reason why they like remembered this boy from the school was because he was American. Mm hmm. They tracked down his address and they went to his house, which I think was like 30 miles away. Okay. And the boy no longer lived there, but his family did. So (laughs) the family, nobody was home at this point. They broke into the house. (gasps) They made themselves food and they kind of just like went through their stuff. What the heck? Yeah. And the parents came home and saw them caught them but because they had this reputation of being the silent twins and they were in the special school the parents kind of just let them leave what you know what uh story that reminds me goldilocks and the three bears she just bombards the house Mm -hmm. tries everything out yeah she takes a bite of all their food sleeps in all their beds so they were determined determined 
to find these boys or this boy that they had met at Eastgate. Little did they know that the boy was no longer there. That boy got shipped back to America, but he did have three younger siblings, three younger brothers. Okay. And they kept going to the house until eventually they met the brothers. And June said that they would spend three hours getting ready, makeup, hair, like they would put on wigs, dress really scandally, and mm. yeah, because they wanted to entice these boys to like them. Okay. At this point, I think they're 18. They just wanted attention. Socialize. Yeah, and they also wanted attention from the opposite sex. Yeah. I think they were finally like, we need to venture out. Yeah. <laughs> the problem was is that these boys weren't the best... Um, the best boys because best they introduced candidates. them to drugs, sex, and oh. alcohol. Under the influence, the girls would lose their inhibitions like many do. Mm -hmm. And they would talk. They were talking. Yeah. So under the influence, they were talking and they would laugh. And in June's words, she said they were acting like normal teenagers as long as they were under the influence. Hmm. They drank whiskey. They sniffed glue and lighter fluid. Whoa. Yeah. And they smoked pot. I put smoked pot because that's what it said in the article. <laughs> because this was the 70s. So yeah. they called it pot. Um, Jennifer. Oh, so they introduced them to sex. Jennifer lost her virginity in a church as June watched. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh. And after June saw Jennifer having sex, she wrote this in her journal entry or in her journal. This is the entry. Wow. I am seeing Jennifer for the first time like she's seeing me. I think she is slow, cold, has no respect and talks too much. But she thinks I am the same. We are both holding each other back. There is a murderous gleam in her eye. Dear Lord, I am scared of her. She is not normal. She is having a nervous breakdown. Some is driving her insane. It is me. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. It got real dark. Yeah. 13 days later, 13, June ended up losing her virginity to the same boy. Oh. Mm-hmm. As Jennifer watched. So what did she write in her journal? There was, they didn't write, they didn't. Damn. I know. But she didn't, she didn't lose it in a church. She lost it in a barn. So at least, oh. at least there's oh. that much. <laughs> so Tim Thomas, the psychologist or psychiatrist from the school, he was very fearful that the girls were being mixed, were hanging out with these boys. And he knew that something bad would happen. And he was right. The girls competed for attention from the boys and their resentment and anger got worse towards each other. Yeah. Jennifer tried to kill June. What? With a radio wire. She tried to strangle her. Mm-hmm. And she wrote in her diary that she was not ashamed about trying to kill her sister. Uh-huh. And then not too long after that, June tried to kill Jennifer. Same way? No. This June pushed Jennifer into a river and tried tried to drown her. So it, it just progressively gets worse. Okay. After the end of the summer, the boys went back to America. So they were out of the picture, but this didn't do anything for them. All it did was they went back to their room. They secluded themselves back in the room and they developed an eating disorder. They were spending all of their money on food and all they would do was binge and purge and binge and purge. And then they were there were some crazy um, journal entries that were on there. I didn't include it, but it was pretty much like 
I eat too much and I hate myself, like that kind of journal entry. But they were so bored in this room that this is what they decided to do. And in one of gen- in one of the diary entries that I did want to share from Jennifer, she wrote, she should have died at birth. Cain killed Abel. No twin should forget that. Like they were... They hated each other at this point. Yeah. They blamed their problems on the other. And since the other looked like them, they felt like they were looking in the mirror, but not the right mirror. I don't know. And then in June's journal entry, she wrote, I'm in enslavement to her, this creature who is with me every hour of my living soul. Wow. Like they hated each other. But did you, who had the breakdown again? What do you mean? When you said that she was in a catatonic state? June. June, and June put that in her journal entry saying mm-hmm. she was enslaved. Yeah. Wow. I think June was more scared of Jennifer than Jennifer was scared of June. Hmm. Which makes sense that they didn't feel the same way because they both had different personalities. I just don't think they knew that they had different personalities. Mm -hmm. It's so weird. So September came around and they ventured out again. I guess they got sick of being in the room and going through this crazy cycle that they left the room again. June wrote in her diary that her nature had turned to crime. She was labeled a thief and she agreed and that's who she was. So even though the boys left... It didn't leave a good impression on them. And now they were doing bad things. They were committing crimes and they're of age. Being exposed to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like what else did you expect? So, and they weren't in the special school. They weren't getting treatment or anything. So they were just like left to their own. Mm -hmm. So they were stealing bicycles and glue because I guess they were sniffing it. Mm -hmm. They were ringing people's doorbells. They broke into a training center for adults and into a school. They smashed windows. They stole books. They drew graffiti on walls. They tried to break a payphone. Then called the police to confess their crimes. Find a payphone nowadays. <laughs> Find one. Go ahead. That's like a historical well, monument. Maybe, maybe on the other <laughs> side of the world, but here in the U.S., you can go find one. There's no pay phones. You can go find one. You might find like the little cube, but there's no phone in it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So they tried to call the police to confess to their crimes, but they would hang up and run away before the police could get there. Eventually, they got bored of those crimes, and it got worse. GTA? What is GTA? Grand Theft Auto. Oh, no. It got worse than that. June wrote that she wanted to burn down a store and that she did, and she did end up doing that. She said, I want to do this. I want to burn down this store. Like she hated the store for whatever reason. And she did it with the help of her sister. She wrote that she was proud of what she did. And she wanted to burn the whole town down. And so far at this point, they've gotten away with all of their crimes. Yeah. The only fault they had was that they wrote everything down in their journals. Because they got caught. They were they were actually burning the second facility and there was um, a security person there and the security caught them. And then the way that they convicted them of their crime was because they read their journals Ooh. and they confessed to everything in their journals. So yeah. they got caught. They got sent to a men- mental institute slash jail for seven months awaiting their trial. And in this place, they went silent Again, while they were there, they were at their complete worst because now they're like full grown adults. They're not little kids anymore. They couldn't function with each other and they couldn't function without each other. So, I I mean, because in this mental institute for criminals, they weren't going to be compassionate to them. Yep. 
So I guess they would try to keep them apart, but they were inconsolable. And then they would have to put them together and then they would just fight. It was <laughs> crazy. <laughs> I can only imagine the staff. I would be so mad every day and frustrated. You can't separate them. You have to keep them together. But then when they're together, they're they're trying to kill each other. Yeah. So while they were there, they didn't talk to anybody. The only way they were able to get some information out of them was that the staff installed a telephone in their cell or in their room. Jesus, put a string and some cups to each other. Right? That's what I thought. I was like, they put a whole phone in there when one tried to kill the other with the radio wire? Like, Forget what are it. they doing? The psychiatrist, Dr. William Spry, actually did get some information out of them through this phone. The phone wasn't connected to like landline yeah it was just in the hospital yeah okay june expressed how sensitive she is and picks up on people's moods has dreams and premonitions or us she said she says she's too withdrawn and she wants to kill jennifer by strangulation that only one of them should have been born and life would have been a lot easier. Jennifer told him that she hears voices, she sees visions, and she wants to kill June. After this, Dr. Spry diagnosed them with schizophrenia, which I'm no doctor, but it sounds like they were on the road to that. Yeah. <laughs> or they were they were definitely dealing with something, right? So they um other doctors said that they were psychopaths. Dr. Spry just said there's, they, you know, they have schizophrenia, they're sick. Yeah. And they were a danger. So other doctors were just like, well, they're a danger to society and they're arsonists and they're criminals. And given their most recent history. Right. Like, I don't know. There are a few doctors that were compassionate to them because you have to think of them growing up. They dealt with a lot of racism early on. Yeah. They had a speech impediment, which is really tough to just get over that in itself, right? They yeah. were bullied. bullied. They That's were twins was, yeah. and they got all that unwanted attention. Um, so they were in this facility. And the thing about the parents. So I thought about this too Where when I was researching. They? they left it completely up to the system to take care of them. No responsibility. None. Wow. It was kind of just like they, the system knows what they're doing, so we're just going to let them handle it up until the day of their trial. At their trial, they were, they, charged for? they were found guilty of their crimes, so arson and theft and all of those things. They were sentenced indefinitely. Yeah. Because them being a threat to society. Mm-hmm. Aubrey, the father, was so distressed over the whole thing at this point because he felt like well it's too late now i can't do anything like i let the system handle it and the system failed them pretty much and then gloria the mother she said i don't believe they're mental maybe disturbed but not mental at this point at this point how old were they when they were charged um, well, they were 18 and then the summer and then they were convicted. I think they were probably still 18 or 19. Wow. Yeah. All of this happened within like a year, even like a few months span. They were probably 19 because they were in the facility for seven months. Okay. So they're probably 19 at this point. So in the facility that they were sent to, they were assigned to different wards. Remember, they couldn't be separated. separated. Mm-hmm. But since they were diagnosed by a doctor that they were schizophrenic, they were given drugs and they were given tranquilizers. Ooh. Yeah. And after two years of not speaking, they started to talk. June says the drugs, which one was a tranquilizer, made them numb and they forgot their silence. Kind of like how 
the alcohol and the drugs would numb them and then they could be normal. Yeah. So I guess, I don't know, under the influence, they felt normal. I don't know. It's kind of sad to say that because they shouldn't have to be under the influence of anything to feel normal. June says that they would have court dates every year. And every year they'd be like, this is the year we're, we're going to, we're better. We're We're going to be be fine. And yeah, we're going to get out. And every year they'd be like, nope, you guys haven't progressed long enough. Another two years. Yeah. And every year they would go to their court date, their court hearing, and they would never get good news about being released. In March 1993, so we're jumping 12 years. Okay. They're a month before their 30th birthday. They've been in there till they're 30. Imagine that. They finally get news that they're being transferred to a medium secure unit. And a day before they were set to be transferred to this unit, Jennifer said that she wasn't feeling well. And June said that in the bus ride, car ride, transportation, whatever they were in there, Jennifer laid her head on her shoulder and was like, I feel really weak and tired. And the following day, Jennifer died. (gasps) Mm Mm-hmm. She just died. Yeah. That's what I thought too. They said that she died of acute myocarditis. It's an inflammation of the heart muscle. But this... um. This thing that she had is a rare disorder that is seldom fatal. Somehow it was fatal to her and Jennifer passed away. Wow. And one twin is gone (laughs) at 30 years old. June said that she was completely devastated when her sister died, especially like right when they got good news that they were going to be transferred, right? She wrote in her journal, because at this point they were still writing in journals. The night of her sister's death, this is what she wrote. Today, my beloved twin sister Jennifer died. She is dead. Her heart stopped beating. She will never recognize me. Mom and dad came to see her body. I kissed her stone-colored face. I went hysterical with grief. Mm. And then in the interview, I think this was from The New Yorker, this is what got me. She said to the interviewer. Yeah. We prayed for forgiveness, but of course he didn't forgive us. He punished us for 12 years. He hated us. He didn't listen to us. We suffered. And at the end of it all, what does it mean if she died? Can you believe that? Like she, they held on to like this crazy guilt of not being able to talk. Yeah. That sucks so bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's so sad. Mm-hmm. Um, And then... June was released on parole a year after her sister's death. So she was probably 32, 33, somewhere around there. Yeah. And she actually is living on her own in her own apartment, completely normal. She does take medication, but... Granted, she was at least 13 years, 14 years. Yeah. Yeah. But she's on her own living in an apartment. She did live in a halfway house for a while, but after that, she got her own apartment, lives completely on her own. Um, is like a normal person and she actually now goes by Allison her middle name she says it's a fresh start I can finally be normal and I want to be Allison and this is the one that would this is June who said Jen was her that should have died in the womb I think so I don't remember they wrote a lot. I've read it. There's way more. Like usually when I <laughs> tell a story, there's way more. I just try to pick out the most important things. Yeah. But yeah, June. But June was also. Yeah, she's the one that wrote. I'm in ensla- enslavement to her, this yeah. creature. Um, June was also the one that was a little bit more afraid of Jen than the other way around. Yeah. 
It's crazy though. Like once she passed away, June was like free, mm-hmm. which is really trippy. It's really trippy. Yeah. Like this is an intense twin connection <laughs> beyond. <laughs> I truly don't think a lot of people cover this story because it's true crime. And a lot of people are like, this is a fascinating case about these crazy twins. But for me, I'm really sympathetic towards them because I'm like, they dealt with a lot yeah. at a really young age because we have experience with kids who have speech delays and learning delays. And mm-hmm. with all the help we have now, they're fine. Mm-hmm. But back then, they were dealing with racism and bullying, and mm-hmm. the parents thought the system was going to help, and we all know not always the case. But anyways, that's the story of the Silent Twins from me. What do you think about it? That's insane. I'm pretty sure I hope I don't have any twins. Oh, God, no. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> if anything, twin puppies. Yep. <laughs> Two little Dalmatians? Yeah, right. I'm like, anybody want a great Pyrenees? She's laying right here. They could probably hear her snoring. Yeah. (laughs) This giant dog. Mm -hmm. But yeah, this is it. That was my story. Let us know what you think about it. Mm -hmm. If you've heard it in a different way, what your opinion is on it. Let us know if you've actually uh, went out around the Nevada Triangle. Any around there, any adventures? That means I was in the Nevada Triangle? Yeah. We were all in the Nevada Triangle. Well, it's by Death Valley, so it goes again from Las Vegas to Fresno, up to Reno, and then back down. So we were all up in this triangle, and I had no idea. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting. We did almost run out of gas at one point. Ooh. We were You're going to be in secluded on areas for sure. Oh, my. Oh. We, okay, quick story. When we were driving around and we yeah. were out of gas, we were all Googling like gas stations and we were trying to find something that was still on our route because we didn't want to go back because we knew going back there was a town, but it was like half an hour. Okay. And we had been driving all day at this point and we were all just in regular cars. We weren't in like an RV, so it wasn't very comfortable. We all just wanted to like get to our destination at this point. So we were trying to find a gas station on the route and we found one. We get there. It's closed. Ooh. Literally closed like 10 minutes before we got there. And we were just like, what do we do? (laughs) We're all pushing the car. Oh my gosh. And we were driving two cars, right? It was two cars. And I think Amelia was driving one and I was driving one. One of you had the van. Yeah, I was driving the van. Mom's car. Uh And then my mom's car. And then, oh my God, we had three cars almost out of gas, all of us. Mm -hmm. We left that gas station and drove through this neighborhood because I'm navigating and I'm like, I know the way. I'm going to follow my Google map. We went through the scariest, the hills have eyes town. Like it was so many houses, so many cars, not a soul in sight, not a soul. And it was five o'clock, four o'clock. And we were a little bit panicky because we were like, if we get stuck, it's going to be dark soon. Yeah. <laughs> we were scared a little bit. And then we, I drove us through this crazy little town and I, oh, and I said, I was like, I need to save this in my phone so I know to look it up later. And I didn't save it. Mm. Maybe it didn't even exist because we were in the Bermuda Triangle, Nevada Triangle. Maybe it was just all a part of our imagination. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine if I saw somebody come out like the hills have eyes yep. with the weird no! skin face? <laughs> I have like a car full of kids. <laughs> like, close your eyes. <laughs> Zooming out in the minivan. Mm-hmm. Anyways, yeah. If you've ever been, if anything weird like that has happened or even scarier, mm-hmm. let us know. Yes. 
This wraps up this episode. Subscribe to Las Brujas and Friends podcast. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Las Brujas Podcast and on Twitter at Brujas Podcast. We would love to hear from you. Any feedback, suggestions, or personal testimonials that confirm these stories, we would love to read them. A question for you. Have you ever been in the Nevada Triangle and has anything scary ever happened? And what do you think about the Silent Twins? Do you think there's more to the story than what I covered? Join us next week. We post every Friday. Bye. Bye.